truth right there. He took the fall. He fell on a bus. Like a rose, he was trampled on the ground. He took that fall. And above all, he was thinking about each and every one of us. Thank you, Sister Barbara, for that. Pray that you enjoyed that. And, uh, and it's uh, God is so good. He's anointed so many uh, different music, songs, uh, different lyrics. People come and, and uh, I couldn't help that song. I thought I was thinking about when Franklin Graham was in Central Park and he was and he was preaching the gospel message. And then uh, Michael W. Smith was there playing that. And in the background was all the hospital tents. And uh, I thought, hmm, singing the gospel, people in the tents suffering and uh, yet the spirit of God which is over like a devil where everything is going on over the whole earth and so folks we can't we can't give up we can't give in uh, the fight is real the battle's on and guess what it's the Lord's battle for the Christian and so we just have to completely trust in the father and just trust in him and all that he's trying to do so if you have your Bible this morning tune to Acts chapter 19 yes right there Hills Campus folks we're back into the book of Acts and just uh, pray that you got your notes and you got your pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara. Uh, maybe not mascara this morning since you're at home in your living room, but uh, find something there. It'll be good. Get your cup of coffee, your cup of joe, and sit there and just uh, enjoy yourself. And uh, and just uh, and let's just spend time in God's Word this morning. I just want to pray for God's Word. Father, thank you for your precious Word. Use it for that you would be glorified in and through our lives this morning. Well, we give you praise for all you do. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to read the word in freedom, and Lord, and in truth, and Lord, and in your spirit, God, that's inside of every one of us. Touch our hearts this morning, and God, we just give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen. Now listen, man, the gospel is so important, and when I was thinking about this, uh, this these passages of scripture here, I'm thinking about how important it is for us to share the word of God, and it's so important, so we're going to hear this today and talk about sharing the Word of God, sharing the good news, the gospel. It's never been in more, in more important than it is right now in this very situation, the very circumstance we're in. You have people that are lost. You have people that are friends of yours, family members. They may not know who Jesus Christ is. And listen, and they will never know until you speak to them about the gospel. And so today, I just want you to think about it. You know, do we live... In my first grade, do we live in a world where it's okay to be a Christian? Yeah, it is. But here's the issue. The issue is if you keep it in your own home, if you keep it in your own church, if you don't go out there and share and, and, and share it within the public places, right? And we see this. We, we have seen this everywhere in the past. Not so much today. It's, it's amazing how this pandemic has brought out Jesus. <laughs> it's brought out more prayer. It's brought out more, more people, more leaders saying, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. And, and we do. We need to pray. We need to pray every day. I'm sure that you're doing that. But before this pandemic... Then you see where, where it's like God is trying to be removed from society, removed from public life, removed from our government, removed from our schools, removed from everything. But all of a sudden, when a crisis comes, <laughs> when there's nowhere else to turn, what do people turn to? And they turn to the living Lord, Jesus Christ. And so, and so we just pray for that. So it's for us to keep living in our four walls a lot of times in the church. And, and we don't need to be doing that. Uh, but today's message presents a certain special dilemma. And I want to share it with all of you in our lives. And it's one that all of us, we must deal with, including this big old boy right up here. i got to deal with it as well. So here it is. Are you ready? Here's the dilemma. First thing is, if I don't share the gospel, I can pretty much guarantee 
that I'll be at peace with my family, with my friends, listen, with my coworkers, pretty much everybody, right? If I don't share the gospel, I can pretty much, I've seen in my own life, I can pretty much be at peace with everything and everything around me, what's going on, right? And so that's something we need to think about. Is that true for you? This is kind of like true for me. I know sometimes I want to shy away from sharing the gospel, and guess what? Nobody's asking me about Jesus. Nobody's asking me about how they should live their life. Nobody's just coming out and saying that, right? But here's the thing. The problem is, if I say nothing at all, then I am making a conscious decision to ignore, rebel, disobey the call of God in my life to be the proclaimer of his gospel message. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28. Don't forget this, man. Put this in your brain. Memorize it. Listen. He said in Matthew 20, 19, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, you can't go and make a disciple unless you say something out of your mouth. Right? So everybody said, we got to share the gospel, right? Say it. We got to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So we must be, we must do that. So, so you may be thinking there in your living room, well, hey, listen, if I go and tell someone, they might reject me. Well, that's very true. They might reject you. They just, they just may. Uh, I've been rejected many times by just sharing the name of Jesus, or they don't want to hear it, they walk away from it, or they think different of me, or they're no longer my friend. Now, I've experienced that myself. They may mock me, you may say, or poke fun at me. I'd be embarrassed. I'd be uncomfortable. And so, but listen, we have no problem, listen, loving God, loving people, but we can easily hold back the real message at times so not to be uncomfortable. Do you do that? Do you ever do that? So I have to ask myself this question. To me, I have to ask myself, uh, this question to myself. Do I protect me making it easy for me? Do we do that? Do I protect me making it easy for me and not say anything? Or do I obey God and share his message? Do I obey God and share his message? We must ask ourselves this, these important questions. And so I ask you today, so in chapter 19, we see that the gospel message, what does it do? We see in the whole of chapter 19 that it saves, but it also it divides. And we'll see that. If you remember, the last time that we were together in the book of Acts was March 15th. Y'all remember that far back? March 15th, it's all hard to believe. And we went through a portion of chapter 19. But I just want to kind of recap where you can see the success of the gospel. How it uh, saves people, but how it also divides people as we look at it. So in Acts 19, 1 through 7, we talked about, listen, the 12 disciples of John who were baptized in John the Baptist's baptism of repentance. Paul runs across these guys in the upper countries. He's heading towards Ephesus, and he runs with these 12 guys, and these guys are proclaiming the Messiah. And, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. So they all knew when Paul spoke to them uh, that Jesus was the Messiah. They understood that, right? They knew not the cross, though. They knew not the burial of Jesus. And they knew not the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul shares, I'm sure, the glorious news to them that the Messiah died on a cross for their sins. And then he was buried in a tomb and then rose from the dead. And then these guys are gloriously saved. And they are re-baptized. 
and Paul baptizes them. He touches them. The Holy Spirit comes on them as the evidence of their salvation. The Holy Spirit comes on them, and all is great. They're excited. Paul is excited. Heaven is rejoicing. Amen. It's like hallelujah chorus time, right? And that's what it is. And so I just love it. So we see where the gospel saves. And then when Acts 19, uh, verses 8 through 10, then we see Paul leave those men. He preaches in the synagogue. And then the Jewish synagogue, which was his habit, he would go there first. That was his inroad. That was his door to get into these cities where the synagogue, where he could share the gospel of Jesus Christ, persuading them about the kingdom of God and of Christ. And some hearts were hardened, though, in the synagogues. They would experience that. They would refuse to believe. They would be slandering the way, which was the, the Christian uh, name back then in the first century, the, the way. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And by the way, we're going to talk about what Christians were called back then based on John 14, 6. Paul withdraws, taking some followers of Jesus with him out of the synagogue. If you remember, he goes to a lecture hall of Tyrannus, right, where he teaches there at midday for two, two and a half years. And in there, every day at midday, when they would take their little siestas, you know, they'd go to work in the morning at sunrise. They'd take a break about 11, 12 o'clock, and then they'd go back to work about 2 to 4 in the afternoon, and they'd work until dusk. But in the middle, they'd take that siesta in the hottest part of the day. And that was prime time for the Apostle Paul and the gospel and discipleship and all those things. And we have learned that out of that, there were a lot of churches were established. Uh, we look at Colossae, we look at Philadelphia, we have to see if some of these folks in Asia were uh, started because of Paul's teaching and preaching right there in Ephesus in this lecture hall. And so the spread of the gospel, you can see it, just the network of it is spreading far wide throughout Europe, throughout Asia, and different places. And so we see that. And then in Acts 19, uh, verses 11 through 20, uh, Paul, we see here, performs some extraordinary miracles with hankies, right? Hankies or sweatbands he would have. But he was, he was a tent maker, and he would sweat, I'm sure, making tents. And it says the people were taking his aprons and his hankies and stuff like that and sweatbands. And they were taking, uh, taking it to people who were ill, and they were laying it on them, and the people were being healed miraculously. So it's amazing. But Paul was also uh, delivering evil spirits out of people as well, some of the miracles he was doing. He healed of diseases, delivered from evil spirits. Wonderful works of God Paul was accomplishing. And some Jewish exorcists we saw in this scripture were traveling through, and they were beholding everything that Paul was doing. Paul, they saw when Paul was going to exercising demons out of people, healing people, this and that. And so these guys tried doing the same thing, right? And so they go to this guy who has a demon. And listen, this evil demon jumps on them and says, hey, we know Jesus. We know Paul. But who are you? Remember that? Who are you? And so uh, we, I pray that the demons know your name. That was a big thing the last time we preached. I pray the demons know your name. The demons don't know your name then this message is for you because you're not sharing the gospel. The demons should know your name. And if you're sharing the gospel, demons will know your name. And you'll know the demons are present because they will come against you. They will. They will do it. So they tried doing the same thing. And so what happens is this guy jumps with the, with the demon, jumps on them, and beats them savagely, wounding them. They're bloody and bleeding. And, and they run off and they're naked, rips all their clothes off and everything. And it was, uh, it was just a sad affair for those uh, seven sons of Sceva, it was. So the thing you'll learn by that is you can never play with darkness without God's eternal overwhelming power. 
Man, you don't ever tamper with darkness unless you've got power within. The entire region, because of that, the entire region of Ephesus was transformed. People are getting saved left and right. It's changing the economy. It's changing everything. It's changing socially. Man, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being spread from Ephesus beyond. Paul's making new friends. He's making leader friends and stuff like that. We'll see later. And it's just really an amazing thing to see how the gospel, how God is moving his message through Paul, through Paul's disciples, amongst all the people. The results, multitudes of salvations, people confessing. Listen, confessing so much that people were confessing all of these evil spirits and magical books and cantations and things that they were doing. And so what happened was they pulled all their books, their whole libraries, and these occult practices, right, of darkness, and they're collected, and they make a big pile, and they have a great big bonfire celebrating, just putting away all this darkness that was about them. And so we look at that, and then this is where we pick up today in verse 21, chapter 19. What does success look like for the believers and unbelievers? Look at this. We see the gospel news that Paul brings will either uh, be passed on or dies. We know for a fact because of our existence today that what Paul did was passed on, or we would not be sitting here today doing what we're doing. And so we know it was, it was successful. It was passed on, right? And in some places, uh, depending on where you're at and where these people are at, it does die. And so it's a picture. We see a picture at the beginning. It's not too bad sharing the message for Paul. The gospel always points to who? Points to Jesus every single time. The message we know of Jesus wasn't come even for Jesus in Jerusalem, right? They crucified him. It wasn't, it wasn't a good message. It wasn't well received. It wasn't calm there. And if it wasn't calm in Jerusalem, I promise you, uh, men and women, it's not going to be calm for us. It's not going to be calm in where we live. That's why when you look at our government, we look at everything before this pandemic, it's like it's all about removing God, removing this, doing this, destroying more babies, do all this. And all this stuff is anti-Christ, anti-God. We live in an anti-God world system. And we see it, and it's just, that's the curse of sin, and that's what it does. And so here we are, we see this. And this story that we're fixing to take a, an embark on, it takes place in a massive theater in Ephesus. In fact, this theater is next today. Uh, it's huge, it's massive. It seats about 24,000 people. So imagine 24,000 people as we go into this passage of Scripture today. And then see, that's a lot of people. I don't know when the last time I've been amongst 24,000 people. It's been a long, long time. It's a remarkable city. Uh, the Temple of Artemis is there. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. And so, and so as we go into this, we'll look at it. So let's pick up in verse 21. Now let's read it. Acts 19, verse 21. It says this. Here's the, here's the beginning of bad things, right? It says, when these events were over... It says, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem. He said, after I've been there, he said, I must see Rome as well. And, and so after sending two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Paul here is planning like his fourth missionary journey. And he wants to go to Rome knowing that his time is about finished right there in Ephesus. 
And he's looking to the future. He's looking strategically to the future of what's next. He's ready to go out into the great beyond and reach people that have not even heard the gospel. And man, and he's just licking his lips and he's so and he's ready to go and do this because he knows that's his mission, that's his mandate for his life. He has also planned to go back to Jerusalem in the midst of this as well to bring offerings to them uh, to help the church there in Jerusalem. Romans 15 talks about the collection of money that was taken up for them. And they were having a very hard time with all the persecution and everything going on. And so Paul sends two of his disciples, as we see, forward to Macedonia to organize those churches there. And to prepare them and to disciple them, that sort of thing. So then we look at uh, verse 23. It says, during that time, um, he says, when he was doing this, there was a major disturbance about the way. Now, when you're hearing about the way, what is the way? Well, the way was an early title for the Christian church. On the first title for the church was the way. And that's what they were known by, the way. Today, there is a modern cult movement today that's called the way. And this modern cult movement is not good. In fact, I had a friend of mine when I was in serving in the Air Force who belonged to that up in North Carolina, to that cult called the way. And he used to tell me, he said, you know, he could not buy anything that, that he had to turn it over to the leadership in the way. And he had to get permission whether of the stuff he was on by himself. Very, very, very controlling. So it was a cult. So you know, you won't see youth groups called the way. You won't see churches called the way uh, that are true blue Christian churches, probably for that reason, because of the cult. But listen, today uh, we see that. And in John 14, 6, Jesus said this. And this is where I believe the name came from. Jesus said, what for on the way, right? The truth and the life. And so very profound statement that Jesus made today. Heaven will never happen without anyone, without going through Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. And so that's important for us to understand. Look at verse 24. It says, For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. And when he had assembled them, as well as the workers, Engaged in this type of business, he said this, now listen, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You both see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man, Paul, has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that God's little g made by the hands are not, made by hands are not God's. So not only do we run the risk of our business being discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin, the very one all of Asia and the world adore. Now this is how they made a living, how they made money. They would make these little trinkets, and when people would come to visit and they'd see the seventh wonder of the world, they would get a trinket of the seventh wonder of the world and take it home, right? Not much different than today. I've been to places like, I've been to Athens, Greece, I've been at the base of the Acropolis there where the Parthenon sits on top of. And there's market areas all around that place and little tents and things set up. And what are they selling? They're selling little models of the Parthenon. They're there, little, little idols of the Parthenon. There they are and different things. And so you see it. I've been to uh, Pisa, Italy, where the Leaning Tower is. I remember emphatically uh, walking up to approach that. There were marketplaces out there on the street and they were selling what? 
building models and the leading tire pieces. So where you go, people are making money off of these uh, off of these places. And so that's what was happening here. And evidently, Demetrius was a businessman. He was making selling these idle souvenirs, and he was very well off. He was making lots of money with this, evidently. And he was probably a leader among the businessmen in the area. So so he was very influential. Uh, to these other businessmen. So his motive, what, what was his motive? What is Demetrius' motive here when we see this? <laughs> Show me the money, baby, right? That's, that's what it is. Show me the money. That's what he was trying to do. So worship art was very prominent. It was a very popular thing throughout the entirety of the Roman Empire. In fact, there were like 33 temples of, autumn, uh, of, 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 of Diana were everywhere. They were everywhere all over the Roman Empire, dedicated to her for worship. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people, listen, would pilgrimage to Ephesus to worship, sightseeing. The idols were made by these businessmen, and they were there, and people were happy and just and doing everything. But in verses 25 and 27, Demetrius is very blunt, as we just read. He's telling them exactly what they're doing, messing up their business, but also defiling their goddess, uh, Diana, who they're worshiping, and he's he, uh, defiling that. In fact, in uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 8, 4, 6, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians about idols. He says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, he says, About eating food offered to idols, then we know that an idol, this quote of Paul, an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods, little g, and many lords, little l, yet for us there is only one God, big G God, the Father. All things are from Him, and we exist for Him, and there is one Lord, capital L, Jesus Christ. All things are through Him, and we exist through Him. And listen, this was Paul's message throughout. And he was being obedient to the Father. He was sharing. He was fulfilling the mandate of his mission, of his calling, by going throughout the provinces there in Ephesus, teaching and preaching the gospel. The only hope for all of mankind, including all those Ephesians people. And these guys do not want to hear it. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, write that down. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, he says, For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. How you turned to God, Big G, from idols, to serve the living and true God. Paul's preaching converted idol worshipers to no more buying idols. This is what was happening there, and it was affecting, obviously, the business of Demetrius. It was like a revival was taking place all through Ephesus, and no longer were people buying a lot of these idols. So let's see what happens in verse 28. This is where we see the persecution begins to the gospel. Listen, verse 28 says, When they had heard this, it says they were filled with rage and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with what? Confusion. And they rushed all together into the amphitheater. There's that big amphitheater. Dragging along Gaius. You remember Gaius and, and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's traveling companions. Gaius and Aristarchus, listen, could have stayed comfortable and said nothing and had peace. I want you to think about my initial questions we're talking about. They could have not volunteered to go in there. They could have stood back and they could have kept quiet and nobody would have bothered them whatsoever. But look, they took a step. They took a stand and they moved forward in there, sharing the what? The way, the truth, and the life. 
And, 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 and when we share the way, the truth, and life, you know what that does a lot of times? It takes that peace away. Because it's offensive to so many well, folks. Hey, folks, if no one shares the gospel, no one will respond to the gospel. So we must share the gospel. And so, and like them, like these gentlemen right here, we must share. We must be ready to present a defense for the hope that's within us. Peter teaches us that. Be ready. This is the season. Be ready to give a hope for what is in you. And we've got to be ready no matter where we're going to a restaurant or go into a big biker club somewhere. You know, we got to be ready. I'm thinking about Terry Dipser and his biker dudes, right? It don't matter how rough or tough somebody looks. The gospel has a way of melting even the hardest heart of all. And But we've got to share it, and we've got to share it. In Romans 10, look at Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. Listen to this. This is why we need to share it. The Word of God teaches us that we have to share it. He says, but how can they call on him, Jesus, they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without what? Without a preacher. And how can they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. And I know you look there and you say, well, that says preacher. It doesn't say me, preacher. Well, no, that's, you. that's a commission for all of us. We're all, listen, you're a disciple as much as I'm a disciple. Jesus, when he did Matthew 28, he was talking with them. He said, listen, all authority has been given me, what, under heaven, under heaven and on earth. He says, I want you to go and make disciples. He wasn't just talking to his disciples. He was talking to you, his disciple, sitting in your living room right there drinking your coffee. He wants you to go and make disciples. He wants you to share the message. That is the Christian's mandate. This is, this is what we're doing. That's our mission. This is what we're supposed to be about. Demonstrating and sharing the gospel. So listen, how can they know if we don't share? If we don't share, they don't know. I think about the rich man and Lazarus and how the rich man died and went to the abyss. Right? And I think about Lazarus who's in Abraham's bosom. He's with God. And I think about the rich man is looking at Lazarus saying, go back and tell my family members about this awful place. And what does Lazarus say? He says, hey, if they won't listen to the preachers, they won't listen even if a man rises from the dead. They won't even listen to him. So think about that. We've got to share the message of the gospel. That's our job. That's our mandate. And so you and I are not killed for our faith yet. Praise the Lord. We're not. But in America, that is. But it's not like in other countries, other Muslim nations. When I think about Pakistan, I think about Syria, I think about Iraq, I think about different places like that. People are killed if they're Christians. And they're flat murdered. They lose their life. And so there are places in the world where there's more people killed today than there ever was for their faith in Jesus Christ. So it's going to happen. So why, why are other countries so opposed of America and the Christian community? Why are they opposed to that? I'm going to tell you why. Even here in our country, sometimes our own people are opposed to our Christianity. They're opposed to it. They lash out at us. Why? Because we're so giving. <laughs> See, when, we're, when we are in Christ, we are servants, right? And we serve other people. We wash other people's feet. That's what we're supposed to do. That was the picture Jesus was showing his disciples. Listen, listen, you want to be a leader? Be a servant leader. A true leader is one who will get down on his knees and will serve somebody else. So make sure that we're out there, we're being like Jesus. We're serving other people. We are serving. And so listen, there are no, I was thinking about it, there are no secular humanist hospitals anywhere I've ever seen. Have you? I've never seen a secular humanistic hospital. Have you? No, no, but I've seen some Baptist hospitals, right? 
I've seen some Catholic hospitals. I've seen some different ones. I think about St. Jude, you know, and I think about some folks, you know, and, and that, that are established by the Lord, you know. And so when we think about it, they're built by Christians, you know. And so just, just think about this is this is the, who we are as Christians. We're givers, not takers. You know, we receive salvation to do what? To give it away. And we need to give it away. That should be our mandate. That should be what we're about. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Listen, when we're in the battle, this is why we're in the battle. And Paul talks about in Ephesians. He said, for our battle is not against what? The flesh and the blood. But it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. See, folks, the problem is not flesh and blood, but spiritual forces up in the heavenly places, directing people, directing the demons to direct people who are lost to do the things that they do and to blind their eyes so they're not even able to see the gospel truth. We want, yeah, you want peace? Man, say nothing. If you want peace, you don't have to say nothing. Don't say anything. Uh, say something about the gospel and listen, and Satan will try to shut you down every time. He will. He tries to do it every time. He thinks he's got a upper hand with this pandemic. I promise you, God is in control. And God's word is being spread more than it's ever been spread, I think, in the history of the world through social media. There are more people hearing the gospel, more people I see on social media sharing Jesus, sharing prayer, sharing the gospel, sharing the message of only hope for salvation, praying for Jesus to come and heal, praying for Jesus to come and save, praying for Jesus to do this, to do that, to do the other. Listen, there are more people doing that today than I've ever, I have seen in a very, very long time. And it's, a, and it's glorious to see that. And we must, as, as the mouthpiece, this is a wave. You ever watch a surfer? A surfer gets out there in the water, he sits on his board, and what does he look for? Does he take the first wave? No. Does he take the second wave? Maybe not. Third wave? He sees that right wave. And when he gets on that big old honking wave, what does he do? He rides it for all it's worth. He's on that board. He's riding that wave all the worth. Same thing. God gives us an opportune time to share his message of good news. The only hope for mankind to save people into eternal life bringing them, rising from death to life. And listen, this is a wave that's taking place right now, and we need to ride this wave for all this world. We need to share the message, share the message, share the message. Shout it from the rooftop, shout it from everywhere. I think about Jerusalem, how packed it was the city. They would shout the news from the rooftop, the rooftop, the rooftop. That's how they got word spread. Listen, we need to be shouting it on social media. Shout it, post things about Jesus, post them publicly so people can see that you're a Christian and the Christ follower, that you're giving the message, giving the right message. Forget about the government stuff. Forget about what our president's doing or not doing. Forget about all this garbage that's out there. Don't get sucked in and entangled with the cares of this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look up, see Jesus. Forget about this stuff. Yeah, we do our part as great citizens of earth, but remember, you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and you need to, you need to expose yourself to people as the kingdom kids, kingdom people, kingdom-minded, kingdom, listen, thinking about Jesus and, and sharing it and spreading it all over the world. Listen, don't get caught up into the travesty of what's happening on social media. 
blaming and saying, this guy's no good. He's no, what's he doing? I wish he wasn't off. I wish he was there. Whatever, you know. We need to stop doing that. We need to think about what we're doing before we post stuff. Make sure we go to the Lord. Make sure we pray for Jesus. Make sure we pray for revival in America. Make sure we pray for revival in the world. The world needs revival. It needs a revival. It needs a cure from sin, not a cure from a disease. It needs a cure from disease. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the greatest disease that all of mankind has ever experienced is the sin and the disease of sin. Of doing wrong, walking, rebellion to a holy God who loves you, who gave his life for you. And we need to listen, stay focused on him. Please stay focused on him. Wow. <clears throat> I like that. So that's good, good stuff. And so we, so do not, we don't want to be rejected sometimes. We say, I'll just let my life speak for me. And listen, nobody's watching my life speak for the gospel so much. I can be a good guy walking around, oh, you're a real nice fellow, this and that. But if I never say why I'm good, <laughs> Or who made me good, or who made me right, or who saved me. If I never saved me, it doesn't do a hill of beans for anybody. And so we need to think about that. Open your mouth, share, hey, listen, there's easy ways to have a conversation. Or somebody might come and say, oh, you're so nice. And I would say, you know, I wasn't always that way. Let me tell you why I was so nice. <laughs> so there's an inroad, there's a way that you can open up and share how Jesus saved you and delivered you from yourself. It's very good. So listen, people, we, uh, we're we not responding to the way uh, and I conduct and we conduct our life. We, must, we have the most fantastic stories that mankind has ever heard. And it's the story of what? Of Jesus. Look at verse 30 in Acts 19. Verse 30 says, Though Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. That's just like Paul. He wanted to get right in the middle of it. He didn't care whether he lived or died. He said, what? To die is what? Gain, right? He knew if he died, he'd be in the presence of the Lord. So, hey, this and that. In fact, if anything, Paul was probably saying, this is, this is a way out of this wicked world. Let me go in here. Let me straighten these 24,000 people out, right? No, he would have been killed or been suicide. God wasn't knowing him yet. His disciples held him back. Not only did his disciples held him back, but even the leaders in Ephesus, he had, he, had, he had gained some friendships among some of the hierarchy of the leadership and the powers to be. And so here he is in there. And so, and so, man, so you know the gospel was affecting that area for him to have leaders that were his friends. Telling him, oh, Paul, don't go in there. It's not worth it, man. They're going to kill you. It's not going to be worth it. And they're probably thinking, the leader's probably saying, listen, if you go in there and die, who's going to share the gospel? Who's going to share the good news? If you're gone, who's going to share it? They're just thinking that way probably. And, you know, they don't want to see Paul come to ruin and be killed for his faith like that before his time. And so he's very valuable to the Lord. And so, and the Lord obviously did not want him in there either, or he would have been in there. So, so, and it went a lot. So verse 31 says, even some of the provincial officials, there you go, of Asia, uh, provincial, so, and, and were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with him, do not take a chance by going into the amphitheater. And meanwhile, some were shouting one thing and some another, because the assembly was in what? They were in confusion. They were in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Then some of the crowd gave Alexander advice uh, when the Jews pushed him. The Jews from the synagogue pushed Alexander into the crowd. And, to, uh, and it said that some of the crowd gave Alexander advice when the Jews pushed him to the front. So motioning with his hand, Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they recognized that he was a Jew of a monotheistic God, right? So like the Christians. He was a Jew. A united cry went up from all of them for about two hours. 
Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Can you imagine 24,000 people screaming, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I don't know how anybody can last two hours, you know, screaming that. But they did. They said the crowd was going nuts. There was confusion everywhere. Not everybody in that crowd knew what they were even there for, right? And what was going on? Alexander was pushed forward to the synagogue as if to say the Christians are causing all this. We have one God, too. And for two hours, they're screaming, great is Artemis the Ephesians. Verse 31, they even had to restrain Paul from going there committing suicide. But Paul is ready, and he's ready. Whatever happens, happens. He's good to go. He's ready to go meet his Jesus, or he's ready to stay here and preach the word. And that's what Paul does, and we see. Look at verse 35. He says, however, when the city clerk, the mayor, had calmed the crowd down, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who doesn't know that the city of Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great Artemis and of the image that fell from heaven? So here it is. He's puffing up this Artemis thing. He's puffing it up and saying, hey, we all know. We saw the meteor that fell from heaven or whatever it was that came down from heaven to, uh, to say, hey, this is Artemis. And it says, therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and not do anything rash. Now, the town clerk or mayor, listen, he quieted that crowd down. What's the problem? Verse 37, Paul and them did not finger point. Our God is alive is all they said. They weren't finger pointing at Artemis or nothing like that. And so this mayor is trying to give them to think logically about this. Verse 37 says, for you have brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemers of our gods. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with them have a cough, have a case against anyone, the courts are in session and there are pro-counsels uh, uh, pro and uh, let them bring charges against one another. But if you want something else, it must be decided in a legal assembly. In fact, we run the risk of being charged with rioting for what happened today. Since there is no justification that we can give as a reason for this disorderly gathering, after saying this, he dismissed the assembly and they left. And so in this case, when we see here, the government comes through doing its job. This is what we see here. This is what we see kind of going on in our own country right now. Our, our leaders are trying to be the governing officials to protect our society, protect our people. That's what they're trying to do. That's why, that's why as churches we would kind of submit to the authority of the government who is looking to preserve our life and to look out for our well-being and safety. And I appreciate that. I mean, listen, and some of you may not appreciate that, but you've got to remember this. Did not God ordain the government? God ordained the government. In fact, if you look at Romans 13, 1, he says, it said, everyone must submit to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist are instituted by who? By God, not by man, by God, for our benefit, for our health, for our well-being, for our security and our safety. And so as long as they're not leading us down pathways of rebellion from the word of God or whatever, tell them to do something that would, that would hurt us, uh, that's contrary to the word of God, listen, we need to obey our government. They're, God is ordained them to be there for our good. And so we need to, so they took care of the situation as we see in the scripture right here, and it stops. So with that, I'm going to give you six truths of the gospel. Six truths. So if you want to write these down, there are six truths of the gospel. The first one is the gospel is simple. The gospel is simple. Write that down. 
It's called what? The way? <laughs> it's, it's the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's simple. Believe in the death of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Believe that your sins were buried in the tomb of Jesus and that Jesus overcomes death down the grave, rose on the third day. It's so simple, a little kid can understand it. So the gospel is very, very simple. In fact, in 1 John 5, write this down, 1 John 5, 11 through 13. Listen to what it says. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is what? Is in his son. You want life? You got to look at the son. It's so simple. The one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Do you know? Are you for sure? Are you absolutely sure that if you breathe your last breath, you'd see Jesus face to face and he'd say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter to the joy of the Lord, right? Can you say that this morning? Do you can you say that? Do you believe that? It's a fact. If not, the gospel is simple. Believe Jesus died for you, rose again from the dead, repent of your sin, turn around from doing the garbage you're doing, and chase after Jesus with your whole heart. And listen, believe that he did that for you and he rose from the dead. You too be saved this morning. That'd be awesome. Number one, the gospel is simple. Number two, the gospel is distinct. It is very distinct. There is the way. It's not called a way. It's called the way. Right? On purpose. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. It's not an a way. It's the way. It's like the only way. It's like there's no other way to God except through the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember I said last week, the cross and the resurrection, they go together. You go to Christ's cross, and listen, you're going to be resurrected. You can't have the resurrection without having the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ gives you the resurrection. So you have to go to the cross. You have to confess it, repent of your sin. You have to follow Jesus with all your heart. Do that. It's very distinct. Romans 3.11 says, There is no one who understands. There is no one who sees God. There's only one way. It says, if you are seeking, listen to this, folks. If you are seeking God, guess what God's doing? That he's moving. He's moving to come to you. If you're seeking God, he is moving for sure. John 14, 6, the way to truth of life. Follow his word every time. Follow his word. Acts 4, 12 says this. Acts 4, 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people. And we must be saved by. Jesus is the only way. There's no other way. You have to follow Jesus. You have to. So he's distinct. He's simple. It's the gospel is simple. It's distinct. But also, number three, it's effective. It's effective. In verses 18 and 26 of chapter 19, they, they, they responded positively to the gospel. And listen, here's the thing. We are not born that way. We are not born that way. This is why. And get this. Write this down. I thought this was kind of what came to me. God must instill faith in us to believe in his grace for us. God must instill faith in us. We can understand. He gives us the faith to believe in the grace that is for us. God gives you that faith. He gives you that measure of faith that you can believe that his grace is for you. Do you have that faith? Do you, has God instilled that faith in you? You can't have that grace applied until you have that faith first. That faith, you are saved by grace through faith. And even through the grace, the faith is imparted to us. You have to have faith to understand that grace is there. And so it's important for us to do that. So it's effective. It changes us. God changes. God draws you. It's all God. It's not us. It's 
not anything but Jesus coming to you, drawing you to him. And that's what he does. And he gives you that drop of faith that you need to believe in his grace so that you would come to be saved. It's very awesome. Number four, it's also transforming. It's transforming. There will be clear changes in your life. Transformation needs to take place. By what? By renewing your mind. Listen, the renovating your mind. When Jesus comes into your heart, he comes in, he takes rest on the inside, and what does he do? He redecorates you, what? From the inside coming out. As you surrender your mind and will and emotions to him, then he, and you take and you submit to what he's getting you to do, then he redecorates your life from the inside out and changes your whole being. There has to be a transformation. Metamorphosis has to take place. You are changed oh, from the caterpillar to the butterfly. That's what it is. You die to yourself, you come alive into Christ, the new man's inside, and you come out glorious, and listen, and people take notice. Listen, when, it, when your face demonstrates what's been, and it has to come out. If God has saved you inside, listen, I, I look at people all the time. I look at Christians uh, that give messages online, this and that, you know, and you can look, you can look at a person's face and their eyes, and you can see if they truly are believers or not. You can kind of tell. I think God gives us a discernment of the Spirit to kind of know where's a kindredness between, like me and Stephen. There's a kindredness like me and Frank and Catherine, or me and Terry, and me and, and me and Barbara. Listen, there's a kindredness between us, and you kind of sense it, you know that they know that they know Jesus in their life. And so it's important for us to be sensitive to that. But there has to be an exchange. When Jesus comes to your life, you have Jesus come to life, there must be a you, you should no longer want to do the things of your former self. You need to cast those aside, throw them into that, uh, in that, into that tomb, right, and leave them alone. And turn, it needs to be a definite transformation, turnaround of your life, and people need to see it. And then you begin to bear fruit when you're, doing, when you're, when you're following Jesus. So follow Jesus. In fact, Ephesians 2, listen to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses, and that's what we were without Christ. We're dead. No God's spirit in us whatsoever. We were dead to our sin, right? And trespasses in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. According to the ruler who exercised authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. This is the devil he's talking about. Who we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children of the wrath, as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, and even though we were dead and trespassed, you are saved by grace. Amen. Isn't that cool? You were once dead, walking in this world, listen, and a transformation from death to life, the new birth experience comes in and changes you. So you were transformed. Are you transformed this morning? Think about it. Somehow the gospel does is divisive. We just talked about divisive. Not everyone wants to hear the gospel, right? Can I get amen? Yeah, I mean, I know. Go out there. People don't want to hear it. People walk away from you in a heartbeat. They will. People have scales on their eyes and they don't really care. But we must tell them. We must tell them as God. Listen, it's the only way to save their soul is by sharing the gospel. And if they don't, listen, if they make the choice and not receive it because they got the scales, that's on them. And, but you've done what you're supposed to do, right? You do it. And then finally, number six, not only is it divisive, but it's opposed. Verse 23, talking about how it was opposed. Ephesians 6, 12, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Remember, it's against the rulers, force, heavenly and heavenly places. It's these evil spiritual forces and authorities of darkness in the heavens. That's where it is. It's a spiritual battle. 
the hearts and minds of the people are lost. There is nothing better than leading someone to Jesus Christ. When's the last time you led somebody to Jesus Christ and Savior? When's the last time you shared the gospel and somebody said, man, how do I get saved? And you led them in a prayer of a confession of repentance. When's the last time that you did that? Think about that. Think about that. Think about it. Uh, there's nothing better than doing it. And, and, and a pastor's question has always been, will you respond to the gospel? Will you respond to the gospel? But listen, my question for all of us listening to this is, is will you respond with the gospel? So that's my question, totally different. Will you respond with the gospel to your neighbor? Will you respond with the gospel to your friends? Will you respond with the gospel to those at Walmart? Will you respond in the restaurants that you go, the place you go? Listen, think about that. Who you're talking to on social media, online. Will you respond with the gospel today? Tomorrow? The next day? For the rest of your life? This is my question for you. We must share it with others. It's easy to sit back and not share nothing. I know, I've done it. Listen, this pastor right here is guilty of doing the same thing. Man, I've walked into golf clubs and golf places to go golfing and got behind the counter, obviously is lost. He would say something and I had an opportunity to share the gospel. You know how I remember that? Because I knew I was wrong. And God reminds me that, you know what, you had an opportunity, I gave you an opportunity to say something about me and you didn't do it. It's like, shame, shame, I know your name. God knows my name every time I fall on that. But you know what God does too? At the same time, it's shame. It's like he did with Peter, who denied him. He says, Peter, if you love me, he says, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. He says, if you love me, feed my lambs. Now, what sheep are you feeding today? What lambs, what little lambs are you feeding today? The gospel message. The only single hope mankind is Jesus and his word, his gospel, his death on the cross, his burial in the tomb, and his resurrection. What are you doing with the gospel? Go to him right now. Some of you out there, you know you have it. So right now, where you're sitting, you're living God knows your heart. Ask him to forgive you for not sharing and taking those opportunities. Listen, you got to get that underneath the blood. If you haven't done that and you're still carrying that around and you're you're walking out of fellowship, out of step with Jesus, get in step with Jesus. Don't confess all your sin. Give them say, Lord, forgive me. I haven't been sharing your message as I should at the opportunities that you give me. Forgive me for those different times, whatever they are. And Lord, help me as a believer. Lord, Lord, I know that if I'm ashamed of you in public, the word says that you will be ashamed of me in heaven. Lord, I don't want to be ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of you, Lord. And Lord, help me to prove that I'm not ashamed by opening my mouth and saying that Jesus has saved my soul. And this is what happened to me when he came into my heart and I received him as my Savior. And it's as easy as sharing our own personal testimony of how we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord of our life. Lord, I pray for my Christian brothers and sisters, Lord, that there would be a, a holy boldness on them through the power of your living spirit. And God, that you would touch their hearts. And God, they would have a boldness 
and courageousness of a lion. And God, that they would reach out and touch hearts and souls that are lost desperately, that if they would die without Christ, they would be lost in eternity forever in a place called hell that wasn't even designed for them. But Lord Jesus, use us, your church, to share that good news. And Lord, for those who may not even have the good news, who may be totally lost, and this is like totally foreign to them, Lord, that they too right now can receive Jesus as their Savior. And it's my prayer that if this is you this morning and you're watching and you've never trusted Jesus your Savior, Jesus invites you. He's already inviting you. You feel it and sense him in your heart and your mind. He's already squeezing on you to say, come on, man, come on. I'm asking you to come. Believe that I died for you. Believe that I was buried for you. And believe that I rose again from the dead. That I took your every sin, past, present, and future on my body. And I died for you, child. Come in. Ask me to come in. And I will come in. And I will dine with you today. Just ask him in your heart. Just simple as you know how. doesn't mean you have to know all the Bible, all that stuff. Just know that Jesus, in fact, shed his blood for your sin. And he covers it all. Beginning to end. Ask him in your heart. And he will come in. And he will change you on the inside. And he will redecorate your life on the inside out. Why don't you do that this morning? See somebody that say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord, I want you to save me this morning, God. I believe what Pastor Phil's saying, that Jesus, that you went and died on the cross. I see crosses everywhere. And Lord, I know there's symbols of death, but I know I see them everywhere. And that Jesus, that you died on that cross and shed your blood for me. I ask you, Lord, to wash my sin away right now. Cover me with your blood, Jesus. I trust you as Savior and Lord of my life. And Lord, I want to live for you the best way I know how from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Help me, Lord, to turn away from my wrongdoing. Help me to chase after you, God, and get in the Word of God and to live and learn as much as I can about you, Jesus, and make an impact in other people's lives by sharing how you saved me. I thank you for this time together in your Word. I pray you watch over us today and use us for your glory. And Lord, protect us all. Be with our family members in the hospital, Miss Bobby and Miss Shirley. Lord, just protect them, Lord, and heal their bodies, God. And be with Sister Phyllis and her family, God, as they mourn the loss of her sister. The truth is, she knows, I'm sure she knew who Jesus was. And if she knows who Jesus was, then listen, if, if, if nothing's lost, then we know where it is. And we know that she's in heaven. So, Father, we just give you praise. Bless our country, bless our world. Lord, heal us from our sin. Heal us from the viruses. Heal us from the devil. Lord, just be with us. And Father, I give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name. And all God's children say what? Amen, amen. Thank you all so much for being with us today. We thank you for being with us. Listen, Hills Campus, if there's anything you guys need, don't hesitate to call us. Let us know how we can minister to you. And we have people that are ready and willing to minister to your every need. And, uh, and anybody else. So just let us know, okay? Love you all. We'll see you all on Wednesday night. And listen, and I want to thank you. Uh, you know, the tithes have been coming in. And listen, God is blessing us. So thank you to our members for the giving, the bringing of your tithes to the storehouse. I thank you for that. And uh, this is what helps make it all possible. We're able to do this uh, because of your faithfulness to God and to uh, your local church. So thank you for that. 
And we just give you praise and honor and glory for what God is doing in and through you. I give God all the glory for it all. And it won't be long. Listen, it won't be long. We'll be back together in here. We'll fill this place up right now. Let's, let's start getting some other people to come with you when you come back. And we'll have a homecoming. Listen, Brother Phil's thinking about homecoming, maybe dinner on the ground, something. And it depends on how we're able to come back. And, uh, and uh, we'll just see what happens. But I'm excited just for that day. I hope you are too. Love you all. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sister.